Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, we are here. Adam Gittleman is joining us. We have been striving for weeks to make this happen. The, the stars finally aligned, and then the uh, we had some audiovisual issues, but we are now together, connected, and I am fired up to be talking to you, Gitz. Glad to be here, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Always a uh, special time when we get to chat. Yeah, so, so where you got, where are you logging in from right now? I'm up in Park City, Utah. So uh, we're back in full swing at the University of Utah. Uh, classes just started back in session, uh, both in person and online. So our guys are on campus. Uh, we got a big freshman class in town. So um, really fired up right now. We're back with our boys and starting to, starting to teach and educate some new players on campus. Yeah, so what is, what is the university doing? Is everyone back fully, or is it, is, like you said, some of it's online? Is that Give us a rundown of what it looks like for a lacrosse player, at least on the University of Utah teams. Yeah, I think it's all concentration-based, depending on where you are in your major. Uh, there's some guys that you know, maybe might be a little bit further along uh, that need to go to some labs and stuff that are in person, but I would say the majority of classes are being held online, and classes that you know, you really need to be able to dig in with a TA or teacher, discussion courses, labs, et cetera. They're using bigger auditorium rooms and breaking those up for social distancing. Uh, so a class that might fit average of 70 kids, there might only be 15 in there. Um, I actually just walked by one of the first classes I've seen on a college campus and um, there's caution tape and all, everyone's wearing masks and they're, they're doing the right things to, to keep everyone safe on campus. So we can keep things running smoothly. Nice. Well, we were originally trying to connect in the midst of the, the PLL bubble. And I know there was a lot going on there for you. It's kind of strange because it was more or less at home, right? You were, you were a couple, you were still in the bubble, but like your, the bubble was right around your, around the corner from you. Was it weird coming out of that, but still being in the same place for you? I think it was a really special thing just to be able to drive down to South Salt Lake from where I live uh, to get there. You got to drive through the mountains. So I uh, had a nice scenic drive to the bubble and, you know, through the tournament, my experience was the same as everyone else, except for the fact when, you know, you kind of look out into the mountains from the practice field or just being at the facilities, et cetera, you know, you're like, I'm home, you know, and for, for me, my experience, you know, playing professional lacrosse has been, you know, I've never, besides our year 2015 in Boston for a select few home games and stuff, you know, I've traveled everywhere I've played. You know, I was never really at home uh, for any games besides maybe a Lizards game here and there. So it was really nice to just be in the same place that you live, have a little bit of pride behind that, looking out to the mountains and kind of get reminded, you know, not only playing in the PLL, but it was, a, it was a big step for the community here in Utah to have that going on. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the only – I guess the only counter – to that is like although it's your home there's no fans allowed right <laughs> it's like yeah they're at a full home game and no one's allowed to come but um that was that was exciting to watch and you had you had you guys had a, an awesome run and we'll we'll dive deeper into pll but um let's let's like let's go all the way way back to to the the origin story of adam, adam gittleman you did you did you start playing in long island in cold spring or had you picked up a stick prior to uh to that 
Yeah, I was lucky enough to, to grow up in a town where lacrosse is a really important part of the culture. Um, you know, I think for me, I was, I was really lucky. I was originally in a different school district and transferred into an elementary school that was within the Cold Spring Harbor School District. And, you know, next thing you know, making friends. And I actually started first off playing on the local soccer team and was lucky enough to play with a bunch of kids, a lot of them who are still my best friends and guys who went on to play D1 lacrosse. And, you know, the coach of that uh, soccer team was Mike Winkoff. Who runs FLG lacrosse the female and, <laughs> and I and I just was on the team with him and his son Corey and next thing you know uh, I'm playing goalie from the team in soccer and you know I think a light bulb went off and in Mike's head this this kid's perfect for the sport of lacrosse so next thing you know he was he's recruiting me to come out for lacrosse in the spring and um, I'm really thankful for for him you know to uh, inviting me into the game. I, I remember our, my first practice, not only did I get to play lacrosse for the first time, but he also brought me to get my first ever egg sandwich. And so <laughs> I think, I think he, he knows a little bit about psychological conditioning. Uh, I, you know, I never looked back from there, fell in love with the game right away. And, um, you know, that was, that was really, really blessed that that was my situation as a young kid. And did you start out as a goalie right away? Did he put you between the pipes immediately? No, my first, my first stick, you know, I think I was borrowing a stick from him and Corey for, for the, the beginning, but I, I remember my first stick was, was a Viper. Uh, I got the red, white, and blue at Lacrosse Unlimited, the die, and it was a traditionally strong stick, and that was my first stick. And, you know, I was running around playing midfield. I actually, to be honest with you, uh, was playing midfield and out on the field um, all the way through ninth grade. So uh, I would play midfield and, and also play goalie. But in those early years, you know, like, like most of us, there's not a lot of guys just trying to jump right into the cage, you know, and uh, having the experience playing soccer goalie. And, you know, I think my personality fit well with what you think of uh, an average goalie. Wasn't really scared of the ball at first. I started like a lot of kids, or at least I encourage a lot of kids that are first starting. You know, I was wrapped up in pads. I had baseball uh catcher shin guards on elbow pads shoulder pads chest pad um from you know toes to head i was i was really protected and i think that helped me get a little bit more comfortable playing in the cage and not being scared of the ball also you know those little pink balls those little pink bouncy balls that yeah that girls across uses i started with those and kind of built up um so that was the beginning for me but was always running around in the midfield you know i think that kind of lends to how I play even today. I'm pretty comfortable outside the crease. Yeah, it, it's funny. You mentioned, I remember I played goalie my first year. Like like you said, like everyone kind of rotates in and I wore huge shin pads. Then like a year or two later, they're like, all right, you can't wear the shin pads anymore. I got hit once in the shin. I was like, all right, that's it for me. I'm, I'm out on this goalie thing. So I'm glad that you uh, you stuck it out and you figured out that you could, you could absorb that kind of impact. Uh, when, when was it that you knew that you're like, okay, I think lacrosse is going to take me somewhere now. And I'll be curious to hear this because it's a lot of the people we've talked to have come from different areas or maybe a kid here or there goes on to a school, but like, I mean, Coles Ring Harbor, just, we've talked about this. Some of your predecessors are guys that I played with and professionally guys that I play with at Cornell. Like you, it's a long line, especially like from when you were a freshman and up 
Like those guys are like Cornell, Hopkins, the Pizer, like the Pizer brothers. Like you had a Orson, you guys had a, a strong, strong core, and that's probably just the recent history, right? I'm sure there's even guys older that went on. Yeah, if you look back in history, there guys that go to Colesby Harbor played at big time programs, but I was so lucky because I, you know, I think some of the most transformative years for a kid is is that middle school age when you're in seventh and eighth grade when you're you know, your motor functions are there. You can kind of figure out the game. You've got the stick skills. And then you kind of had the opportunity to sort of create a gap between the other players with hard work and effort and, and all that. But during that time, you know, there was one of the greatest Cold Spring Arbor teams ever playing on the varsity. And I was a seventh, eighth grader um, playing on the seventh and eighth grade team. But you got Joe Belukas. You got both Pizers, uh, John Orson. Chandler Clark, who went to Brown, and a whole host of other other great players, um, all on one team at the time. And I think they uh, they actually got taken down eventually by the Untersteen trio and Shore and Waiting River. But you know, I looked up to those guys, and it like, yeah, it sort of created this this dream for me. I, that's the type of player I want. I want to be like those guys. Um, and so I was lucky enough. Um, my ninth grade year, you know, Dennis Bond, the head coach, gave me a chance to try out for varsity and um, was able to make the team and played on the varsity for four years and had, had a really solid career. Um, but so, I think – So when did you – you said it wasn't really until freshman year that you started as a goal. So was it like you're like, okay, I have to make a decision. If I want to make varsity goalie is my best bet, I'm going to go with that. Is that is that how that went down? Yeah, I, I – you know, for me, I – I always felt so comfortable in the cage and had also really, you know, some positive stuff reinforcement going on. I was playing for club teams and I had the chance to go to a bunch of uh, college camps, you know, back in the day for us, you know, maybe you played club across, but for the most part um, you were going to college camps. And I, I distinctly remember I was at Princeton camp and had the chance to get coached by Trevor Tierney at the time who, you know, for me, Going to the Final Four was, you know, I'd had that circuit on my calendar like a lot of kids in that day. And Princeton was at its prime and Trevor was my hero, you know, and he, he coached me and, you know, did a few sessions. And then next thing you know, I'm playing in some games and Bill Tierney walks by and he says to me, you know, if you keep this up, you might have a chance to do something special in the sport. And I'm in seventh and eighth grade. So I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, back when I was a young kid. So I uh, thank those guys a ton from the Tierney family for, for giving me a little bit of encouragement at that age. So you're telling me the orange you wish you were wearing in college was Princeton orange. Is that what you're saying? That was, that was the first dream, at least at the outset. I was, um, I was always in love with Virginia. I always loved Princeton, you know, uh, Tillman Johnson, no three, uh, sort of set the bar for me and what I wanted to do. And, um, made me fall in love with Virginia. Always loved Princeton, would always go down to the games. New Jersey wasn't too far away. Uh, but I also, you know, I was getting recruited at a strange time. I think it was the same time uh, Coach Tierney was, you know, maybe it was a year after he moved out to Denver uh, from Princeton. And I was getting heavily recruited by Coach Pressler at Duke at the time as well. So, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting time during the recruiting process for, for our group, our class. Well, it's funny you bring that up. I'm going to share something here. This is uh, 
we actually have this in our trilogy office and I like had to do a double take. I was like, wait a second, is that Gitz right there? You got the nice like cross oh, mullet going on here. And then who is that? Is that Bray Malfris and then the, the Bratton brothers? That's it right there. That's the crew. When was this? Was this your junior or this senior year after you had already committed or was it before prior to that? Yeah, this was our senior year. They grabbed us out of the blue at the Under Armour All-American Games and it might have been the second or third uh, Under Armour game that they had done. And so they grabbed us, put us right in front of a green screen. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't know if any of us were really prepared for, for this picture, but especially myself, <laughs> looking at my hair. Um, I, I probably would have gotten a at least try to get a decent haircut if I knew this was about to happen. But, um, yeah, it was a special group, great class, and um, was lucky enough to get sort of a nod in, in that. But, um, yeah, good little memory right there. Well, it's funny because, you know, it talks about best recruiting class ever, and this is a class that ended up winning a national championship, although – Obviously, we, we've talked about this with some other Virginia guys. Like the Bratton brothers was a big story in that championship run. And, um, but, but it's, I guess, inside lacrosse nailed this one, huh? Yeah, they did. And top to bottom, that class was, was so deep. Um, Shamel and Ramel were two of the best players. And I was lucky enough, you know, Huntington is the town right over from us. So we played together since we were, you know, this tall. Played on every club team together. Um, played on the Empire teams twice together, which – back then was the gold standard of teams to try and make back in the day, at least in New York. Um, and they were, you know, as good of friends to me and special teammates. And, um, you know, not for them, you know, we go on a run and make, make four final fours in a row. Um, you know, unfortunately we, we lose in some close ones, get blown out by Cornell in one of them. And um, lucky enough in our senior year, we, we put something special together and finished off on a high note. That's awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that, but, but uh, when was it that you, was it once Virginia expressed interest, were you like that I'm doing that? Was it, was it ever really a, a multi-horse race or did you pretty much know once you had the opportunity to go to Virginia that that was going to be it? For me, I, I was lucky enough. My freshman year in high school, we played Manhasset in the Nassau County Championships and they were at that time the number one team in the country. They had, you know, both Molinari's, the bitters, you know, yada, 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 up and down the line. Um, Chris Pizer was going to Princeton at the time. He's maybe the best defenseman in, in Long Island or at least Nassau County and uh, had a great game. And we took him to overtime, almost beat him. Um, and I think there was a lot of coaches probably watching their guys and Steve Pizer and um, a few other guys on our team, maybe, but, uh, you know, got, got some early looks there and, um, went to top two of five, which at the time back then was the camp um, as a freshman and made the all-star team there. So I think, you know, I think I was lucky enough to, to have some key performances early in my career that kind of put in the back of some coaches' heads that, that I was, you know, I, that I existed and maybe they'd look out for me down the line. So, um, and, then, and then back then during the recruiting process, it wasn't early recruiting, you know, it was your junior year. September 1st and uh, got the chance to go a bunch of junior days. I, I went to a, a ton of schools, um, which I'm really thankful. I had the opportunity to meet a ton of great coaches. And I think it, it really did ultimately come down to the three that we talked about. It was, it was Princeton, Duke, Virginia uh, towards the end. I kind of knew I was, I wanted to go South. How South? I didn't know. Um, 
but the ACC really appealed to me. I wanted to play in the biggest games. You know, I wanted to have a chance to win a national championship. And so um, ultimately when push came to shove, uh, I got to go to my dream school. Was there, was there anything you can remember that was like, you know, was it a checklist you made? Was it something that was like, all right, this is, this is what, like, you're like, I'm doing this. Was there any, any one thing that really pushed you over the edge there? I think for me, a lot of it had to do with relationships, relationships with the coaches, um, having a, you know, a good feel for the school when you went there. For me, I, you know, I knew that those schools were great academically, you know, and I think that was really important for me. I wanted, I did well in school. I worked hard in school and wanted to, you know, sort of take that into college and challenge myself there. And, um, you know, and then going on campus, there's, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that you look for, you know, the size of the school, the majors, um, what type of, you know, climate it has, all that type of stuff. But I think all of us can agree. And I think you can probably agree with this too, is there's just a gut feeling that you get when you step on the campus, when you kind of know it's the right place. And, you know, I felt that um, at Virginia and had a great connection to the players when I had a chance to spend time with them. And I think ultimately uh, when you kind of put it all together in an aggregate, it just made so much sense and uh, was the right thing. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more on that gut feeling. And, and it's funny, you, you mentioned the earlier recruiting, you really like, you're probably kind of the last gasp of, of early recruiting not being a huge factor, right? Maybe maybe your class, a class after yours, but then it, it really started to ramp up after that. So interesting to see how they talked about top recruiting class ever. It was like a you know, standard recruiting class. You guys went on to win it. Got to do a little deep dive on the, on the research of like how it's gone since then in terms of like these top recruiting classes and championships won. But um, talk about your experience at UBI. We talked to Will Barrow. Or, I'm sorry, excuse me. We talked to Pat Harbison. And, and, you know, I think one thing that we talked a little bit about on that was, was you know, tragedy and hardships that you face as a team. And you mentioned four, four Final Fours, but there was certainly some ups and downs at your time at UVA. And I, I just, I, you know, slip of the tongue brought up Will Barrow is one of the tragedies that, that brought you guys together. And I, there were some other, you know, major events on campus, but um, just curious how, how those affected you, not just lacrosse-wise, but as a person, but then also you guys had a ton of on-field success. So curious to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, I think, you know, what I, what I learned first and foremost is, um, you know, you, you can't really predict adversity and tragedy. There's certainly some things that you hope you can influence in some ways or another in, in, in specific cases. And, you know, rest in peace, Will Barrow, I came into school as a, as a freshman and he was a key leader on the team. He was a Long Island guy who I connected to right away. And, um, you know, I think that was something for us that was, you know, you, you go to college, you're a kid, you know, especially got to say it to myself, right? You, you Sometimes you live in a bubble, you know, and you don't experience some of those hardships or tragedies and to go through it, um, in college, away from home, um, you know, I'm so thankful, honestly, if not for Dom Starja and his leadership, you know, I don't know how any of us would have fared because Will was so important to, to so many people on the team and lacrosse alumni and obviously Long Island lacrosse, et cetera. So, um, you know, that was just a huge shock to us and you can't really explain it. You know, uh, there's, there's nothing you can really say or do except wear his name and his spirit on, on your sleeve. And I think that was a massive motivation for us moving forward was to play in his honor. And, 
Um, you know, I think you hit it on the head. There, there was a lot uh, that happened to us. You know, you look, you look forward with, with Yardley Love and the experience that our team went through my junior year in 20, uh, 2010, um, right in the midst of going from the regular season to the playoffs there, um, you know, just ultimately shattering all of us uh, for, for a long time and even to this day. Uh, to be honest. Uh, so, you know, I think for us, it was, it was the team and lacrosse was truly, we learned how it can be medicine, you know, for, for the time we were on the field, that was our time to just be in the moment and be free and not, you know, be hounded by cameras and news media and et cetera. Um, and again, if not for, our coaches um, and the sports staff administration around our team, uh, you know, they, they held us up there and we held each other up. Um, and I think that's what's so special about sports. You know, you can go through anything in life and if you have a community and people that you can lean on and, and brotherhood and family, um, that's what helps you get through that type of hardship. And, you know, I think still like, I think, I'm so sad about all those things that happened, but it also sort of motivated in me in my life and what I wanted to do and the course I wanted to take after college, et cetera. It gave me more motivation to give back to, you know, do things for others, et cetera. And um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I think if you look through the timeline of our experience at Virginia, you're not going to, you're not going to see anything tougher than that. Um, you know, and then you look at my senior year, you've got, you know, two of my best friends growing up in, in my lacrosse career and we institute, um, you know, specific guidelines that we wanted our team to, to follow. And, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, here and there, here, say this and that and blah, blah, blah going on and just some distractions and all that. So, you know, to go through that, to have them not, not be with us at the end was also bittersweet. You know, we won the national championship. Those guys, you know, they put in more, if not work and commitment to the game of lacrosse. And, you know, they were the shining beacon for the black community in lacrosse. And, you know, I still think about that all the time. And obviously we're blessed to have won it, but uh, there's still kind of that little bit of a scar uh, there that those guys weren't able to experience it with us. Yeah. Have you, have you stay in touch with, with the Browns? Have you talked to them recently? I'm gonna just keep that off record if I can. No, no problem. Yeah, I, uh, I just, yeah, I gotta imagine that's that certainly uh, was a challenge at the time, and and I would, I would imagine you know continues to to weigh heavily on you. But um, yeah, and and then like you said, it's like the lowest of the lows and the hardest of the hards to then winning the ultimate dream in in college across of a national championship. I mean, talk about. I got to imagine just the release of that, of you guys going through all that together and then winning that championship in your senior year. I mean, it's like a storybook ending, right? Yeah. To go out on that note is, is special. I'll, I'll always have left college with a win, you know, so you're not thinking back about anything besides, you know, that. And, uh, you know, thankful for a lot of leadership from, from younger players on our team. You look at Steel Stanwick and his run through the tournament. Uh, he, he put us on his back and, we had some young defensemen and some young players on defense that committed to playing a zone and they protected me and gave me some shots I could handle down the stretch there once we put it in. And, 
Um, you know, even before that, shoot, we were badasses. We were run and gun. We'd play games 16, 15. We didn't care. You know, we'd, we'd hold teams to, to six goals if we had to. And um, you look at the guys that, that came through during that time, the, the Ken Clausens, the Carrolls, Danny Gladding, Garrett Billings, Ben Rubior. Uh, shoot, you can go up and down the list. Um, it's a, it's you know, I played with some phenomenal players. Hodge. It's such a wild hodgepodge of like different styles and guys. It's like when you go through that list like that, I'm like, man, what a unique group of guys that like no one is similar to one another, right? That's like all yeah. the beauty of it. It's pretty cool when you, when you say it like that. And I think that was part of the brilliance of, of Coach Starja, Coach Van, Coach Walker. Uh, you know, their recruiting was, was so brilliant because, you know, they know when their ex-attackman was going to graduate, right? And at Virginia, the ex-attackman is the key piece of the offense. So they were able to forecast, okay, if, if our ex-attackman is graduating this year, we're going to bring in the best ex-attackman as a freshman that next year, right? So they were really smart about bringing in great players at key positions at the right time and letting guys play early in their career or, you know, giving guys the opportunity to play early in their career. Like, you know, I was given a chance my freshman year. I played 10 games, went nine and one. We had a fifth year senior Bud Petit who ultimately kind of gave me some support there. I was, you know, dealing with the ACC at the time and we got, you know, no pun intended. We got shelled by, by the Terps in a game and um, he came in, brought us to the final four and, um, gave me a lot of motivation moving into the rest of my career, sophomore year, junior year, uh, senior year, making it back there. And, um, you know, it was a great run. The coach, you know, again, like I said, we played run and gun. You know, we were not scared to push the pace. We were not scared to be creative, uh, to shoot the ball. And I think other teams had to play us on the other side of the spectrum where it was hold the ball, there was no shot clock, get the perfect shot. Um, you know, I don't think there was many teams that wanted to play us eye to eye besides the Syracuses. I would say Cornell was the team that that came at us. Um, but I think a lot of teams kind of went conservative playing against us, trying, trying, you know, extinguish the type of play that we wanted to. Well, like, like you said, no better way to, to end your college career than with a win. And as you look towards you know I've talked to a bunch of guys it's like I was like lightning like I was so focused on what was ahead of me which was the the NCAA playoffs and final getting to the final four and then winning championship but were you thinking about what what you were going to do after school had had you thought about the MLL did you have a career lined up or what was your mindset as you got as you're looking at graduation well I wanted to play in the MLL since I was you know 10 years old I Again, when you go to those Final Fours back in the day, you'd, you'd meet Casey Powell. You'd have a chance to, to watch Mikey. And, you know, when the Final Four started moving into then 2001, 2002, et cetera, with the MLL starting up, uh, that was always kind of in the back pocket for me. I always wanted to play at the next level and play pro lacrosse. Um, you know, and I was lucky enough. I don't think if it wasn't for – a recommendation from Ken Clausen. You know, I was so blessed that I got drafted by the Outlaws and um, was probably one of the last guys picked. And it gave me a chance to play and played under Jesse for a year and learned a lot from him. And then had a chance to to start for an expansion team for for a few years there in Charlotte and uh, made a little run at the at the championship one year. <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, 
and yeah, been been in the game to just finish up my tenth year. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's it's amazing how fast that that stuff goes. So I'm gonna pull up some highlights here. This is your first year with the Hounds, I believe, 2012, right? Because you had the 2011 season, you're in Denver, and then 2012. So that year under Jesse, I mean, talk about what that was like learning from Jesse Schwartzman, who's a very, I mean, you're not a quiet guy, but Jesse is like, he is out there when it when it comes to talking his defense and giving them instruction and feedback. I would say, but anything you picked up from from working working with him, playing with him. I think me and him are a lot, a lot of the same in, in terms of the communication piece. He, I think he, he barks uh, a little bit more than, than me, but I, I think we both feel it's super important as a goalie to be a commander, not only command the defense, but to command the team and be a leader and command the clearing game. And he was just so cool and calm and patient and he was having his best years. I mean, he, he might've been one of the best, if not the best players in the league at that time. Oh yeah. Um, they were and, you know, but I think more than anything that year that was really special about that team is when you look at Brennan Mundorf and Matt Bocklin and, and Jesse is how, how good of leaders they were in ingratiating new players into the team and the culture and um, making you feel at home right away. And I think that's been really a big piece of what I've tried to do in my career, especially, you know, having three years in Charlotte and three or four years in Atlanta where we're expansion teams, you know, and when you play for an expansion team, you learn that guys come in and out, <laughs> you know, faster than you can ever imagine. So you're constantly meeting new guys. You want them to be comfortable. You want them to reach, you know, their full potential for the team. So got a lot of reps doing that <laughs> for the past few years. So I think it's made me feel a lot of like practice, a lot of empathy and ways of uh, being a leader off the field. Yeah. And then this, so, so yeah, talk about this season, you know, you got a whole new group, right? Everyone, was there anyone that you had played with that carried over onto this, onto this team? I'm trying to think of like, were there other Virginia guys on it or were there other uh, outlaws? Guys? Uh, I played with um, Brian Flanagan in high school, <laughs> um, but yeah, shoot. We had Kevin Ridgeway who had played at Notre Dame, Joe Von Miller who I played against at Syracuse. Um, Geez, just looking up and down this roster, everyone was was new to each other this year. And uh, I remember having a lot of motivation going into the season, though. I, I think it was my first year having a chance to start and trained really hard, worked hard to to be prepared. And, um, yeah, I got my shot and made a little bit of an impact out there and had some fun. Yeah, what, what were you doing professionally at this time? Were you coaching yet? Had, had you uh... – yeah, at that at that time, uh, I had spent a year, my first year, coaching at Harvard University. So I was uh, just I just finished up my year there, and um, you know I was lucky enough to have the weight room to utilize, and was had a lacrosse stick in my hand all year long. So I think that really benefited me uh, getting ready for this season here. Any most memorable moments from this, like being kind of your, I mean, you had a rookie year and this was really like your breakout year where you got to be the starter. Any, anything you remember from that year specifically? Well, I want it to be known. I led the league in save percentage that year. So <laughs> it will um, be known. The record will show. Had, 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 you know, zero chance of getting any, any awards, but uh, <laughs> I'm not really an awards guys as you might, you might understand, but um you know, just getting a first win for a franchise, um, getting to new, know new players, 
being on a new team was was cool. Playing lacrosse in Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, who would have thought? Um, that was that was really cool and unique. Um, and and for the first time, being a part of of an expansion team and um, kind of kind of learning on the fly there. And was a captain the next year, and we kind of we make a run. And you can see, you know, I think it just gave me a lot of a lot of hope in what you can do um, in just a short amount of time and the success you can have pretty quickly uh, if you put the pieces together. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up uh, your 2013 highlights because, as you mentioned, you were captain of the team. You guys really started to started to find your groove as a, as a unit, but I'm having a tough time getting this uh, to open up. Um, but we can we – can, oh, man, if none of these open, that's going to be a challenge. Oh, i got some good stuff here we got to watch. I will say, you know, the one guy that I did grow up playing with that we got on the team was Ryan Young. And as you know, Ryan is probably one of the most impactful players, not just on the field, but off it. Um, one of the best personalities, most energetic players. And we played, we grew up playing against each other. He went to Manhasset. I went to Coastal Harbor. They were our rival. And he went to Maryland. I went to Virginia. They were our rivals. And then we finally got to play with each other and had just so much fun. We, you know, we make a run and, we upset Denver, who was a, a colossal at the time. No one was even touching them, and we beat them in the semifinals and had a chance to, uh, you know, get a chance at a championship against some guys on, on the Bayhawks that next next game. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, when you think back to those years, like in welcoming the new players in, I, I think, and you talk about a guy like Ryan Young, who I think a couple of people have cited as like their favorite teammate over the course of the, these that we've done. Like, what was it that, what, what is it? What is, I feel like I always think about this. Like there's no, and you talk about the different blend of teams and the coaches, but like if you could boil it down to the most impactful ingredient that makes a successful team, what would you, what would you say that is? I know that's a hard question because there's probably a lot, but what do you think the number one ingredient is? I think it's, it's gotta be chemistry. You know, to me, it's gotta be like the relationships you have with your teammates. Um, you know, having a sense of we're doing this for each other, you know, and I think there's at times in any pro sport where, you know, especially when you, you bring in new guys here and there, they're trying to make an impact. They're trying to make plays, you know, you got to play team across to be successful in, at the pro level, even more so um, when you're playing in the MLL and PLL. Uh, everyone's got good players, but are you, are you making team plays? You making tough plays, you fighting for ground balls, all that type of stuff. That's what makes the difference in our game. Absolutely. And here's, uh, uh, who's that, who's that ducking down in front of that shot? Tell your defense to stand up and soak one there. You gotta, you gotta pull Glacini out of college for this year. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And what was the move? Got this is 13. What was the move that brought you to Boston? So I was at Harvard and I had been coaching there. And at that point, maybe it was in my third or fourth season, we made the championship this year. And then 2014, uh, you know, with a host of things, blah, 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 just wasn't a great experience that year. Um, we didn't bounce back after that run and, and, you know, kind of collect on that experience and 
you know, I was living in Boston. I, I was working a tough job trying to get Harvard back. Uh, well, maybe not back, but getting Harvard to a, a level of prominence and was recruiting a ton. And, you know, it just was something I really wanted to do. And obviously I was, at the time I was living with Will Manny, who was on the Cannons. And um, it was just a really exciting prospect for me to, to take a look at, seeing if that was something I could do. And lucky enough, uh, had a chance, I think, you know, bag of peanuts and bucket of balls got me to Boston. So there's Chris Bocklet going between the legs. <laughs> I know all the, there's a lot of like would be, there was one, I think it was gladding between the legs, like a lot of would be highlights here that you saved. So you saved yourself from getting on a couple of highlight reels here. That's a great hit. Oh, uh, it's one of my favorites right there. That's, <laughs> too? That's and the, Willie. And how did you, how did you and Will, how did you and Will first connect just through living in Boston? Uh, Will is, such a like such a nice guy to the point where like he'll reach out to you if he respects you or if he knows like you're doing something that he wants to get involved with like he he'll he'll get in your ear about it and so he was at the time still playing for UMass and I was coaching at Harvard and um, there was a few times in the off season when I'd be back at home in Long Island and he would reach out, Hey, I'm at Colby Harbor shooting. Like, are you around? Blah, blah, blah. So we developed a relationship there. And then, um, after he finished up at UMass, he got a job with bank of America in Boston and, you know, just reached out, Hey, you know, any opportunities, do you, do you guys need anyone to move in? And, uh, it was at the time I was living with Colin Briggs and, uh, yeah, we had a spot open up in our apartment and, and we'll moved in and, we were uh, we were roommates for for the next year. That's awesome, and I just you know for me it's like you and Will and Marcus are like so tight that it's it's almost like weird thinking about there was a time that you guys weren't buddies or weren't friends or that you didn't grow up together. So it's kind of funny hearing that origin story. But then you know putting it all together, then we came together for that 2015 season, and man, what a crazy ride! I actually I'm gonna share this. I you know we're down. We had a great year, but then we're down in the in the finals against New York. We got a 12-7 game, and we start chipping away, and Max just just starts unloading these. I mean, walk me through it from your perspective. You're you're in the net here. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think I you know this was a really fun year because essentially I was like the closer. You know, if, if Jordan right. needed some support, if we were down, if we needed some energy, a spark. Coach Tuck would would throw me out there, and um, you know, so so I actually I think at this point I was I was in the game uh, when we started to make this comeback, and Max starts pounding these goals. We had, um, gosh, there was uh, here he is, such such a beast. He he was such a beast, um, hitting twos on the run and shooting. You know, we we get it back and take it to overtime and shoot. We were, we were playing well on both ends of the ball, I think at this time. And yeah, here we go. This, this, you know, I repressed this in my memory. It still comes up in a lot of my nightmares. I hope it's um, not too but, painful to watch, but I, I just got to say, I remember this so vividly being like, Oh my God, he's giving it back to Gitz. And then like, no one, like you get through that face. I was like, Gitz is going to, I literally in my head, oh my God. thinking like, I remember being like, this is going to be on sports center. We're going to the finals. Gets to score in the game-winning goal. This is the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. And then, and then Drew makes that save, and I'm like, "What? He's not supposed to do that." And then I remember being like, "Shit, 
this is bad. <laughs> this is really this is, bad. This is bad. I think, oh, come I on, think everyone – Please get on your horse. Get on your horse. <laughs> everyone in the stadium probably thought that was about to be a goal. And, you know, if I probably could have done this over again, I would have maybe tried to tackle Paul. <laughs> I could have, could have gotten to him here. But, I mean, you know, look, this that's – The great feed, the, the dodge – because when you got by him with the dodge, I'm like, oh, this is a sure thing, right? Did you you saw a net on that far side, or did you just you face dodge? Your own I just way? yeah. I think by the time I face dodged, my I kind of ran out of a little bit of room there. I had a step or two, and I think I just looked to jam it to that far side. And you know the thing that that kills me is, you know I know the scout on Drew, you know, and I was I remember specifically be, even saying it at halftime like. If you just fake to the far pipe and shoot it at a stick, the net will be open. And, you know, I wasn't able to execute the play, and he explodes to the far pipe like he always does and always did in that time. And, um, you know, what could have been maybe – I could have been, uh, you know, rich and famous. Now I'm just a lowly lacrosse coach in the University of Utah. Well, <laughs> I want you to know that I had your back. I was in the goal. I'm fully expecting I know. to shoot it too. And I'm, like, ready. I'm like, I'm like all right. You know what? I'll be the guy on Sports Center. I'll make a save with a with a long pole. I'll bail us out here. And Paul winds up and makes a fantastic pass over to Gibson. And as soon as he did, I was like, "Oh shit! We're now we're really oh, screwed." Because I was like, "There's no way I'm getting." And I was like caught between no man's land, and that was just the worst feeling. Where I'm like, "This is gonna look bad." I just kind of fall towards him. Oh, Ryan! Perfect time. You get to watch heartbreak. We're just we're just reliving uh, Gitz's nightmares here. <laughs> So this was the only MLL game that I watched <laughs> the year after I retired. That's right. This was right after – I forgot you. This was right after you had uh, retired. It was the year after right? – Mitch, this is what I jump in on. Jeez, I mean, has the whole podcast been like this, Gets or what? Has he – He softened me up a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure we're. I'm sure we have another clip to get to at some point too. You know, you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what it is. But uh, we got some. We got some good stuff too. We got. We got you scoring on us. I think this one actually is. Is that clip in its entirety? Um, Do you have him decking me on an inside roll down in Charlotte? Because I remember that play pretty distinctively. We got him decking Will. I don't think we got him decking you. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I think. I think you guys were off at least seven or eight goals at that time, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> This is gets out running PT, little face dodge, that high to high. Worked on Burke. Why didn't it work on Drew? No, oh, I think there's a little twister action. I should have used a little first. more twister against Drew. Was this your first ML goal? Yeah, this was the one. Because you were very fired up now. I mean, you were in front of the home crowd, and, you know, Boston's a great place to play. But, I'm yeah, you were, you were psyched about this one. I love it. <laughs> what did, what did was, Burke say? Know, what did Burke what did Burke say about the cross check afterwards? <laughs> you gave him a shot too. <laughs> yes, right there. I don't think I meant to. I think my momentum carried carried my bowling ball body into him, and <laughs> you know I didn't put didn't put the brakes on there. I just, but that I think honestly, there's two situations where I think a goalie can make a run like that. Number one is that play right there where the ball happens to go out in the box. All of a sudden, people try to get to the box to sub. The whole field's opened up. Here, let's let's let's, let's an, run this back here. Right, so this 
Johnny, uh, John Hawes is such a smart player, and I just – the whole field was open. Everyone's running to the box and subbing, and there's confusion. And yeah, who's that? Brett Adams is trying to get on, right? He's 28. And then someone's – oh, PT's coming out of the box as the pole, and he's just way behind you. Yeah, so you're kind of like a freebie there. Look at Scott Radliff. I mean, that's – I know. <laughs> and, and who's this defenseman to, to that's covering the left side? I mean, who's that? That's good. I'm pressing out because I'm, I'm like, no way, Pete. I'm going to get back here, right? I mean, what an <laughs> idiot. I knew that Gitz needed his first goal in front of, you know, his friends and family in Boston, so I wanted to give him a free run here. RB, I appreciate you, buddy. All right, well, let's let's just rip the Band-Aid off. We'll get all the pain out of the way. You know, we gotta we got to do it. And I just, I just got to hear, I've never, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but we'll just, we'll just do it. You're, these are, these are into the, uh, the blaze days. We got what, like three seconds left at halftime. Oh, okay. It's not halftime. End of the quarter, five seconds left. Jack Kelly. <laughs> By far my favorite part of this whole thing is you react like this, like as the ball is passing you, like you like see or feel the ball and you're just like, well, that's, that's in. Yeah, I, I think if you actually watched the play before, I may or may not have ran about 60 yards to make a play to get the oh. freaking ball out of – Anyways, <laughs> I, I, no, I don't – context is important. I think the context is slightly important. Obviously, this is a massive mistake on my part, but I think the play prior, who knows? I come out of the cage, I – get a ground ball, I get checked, we get the ball out, we get a shot in transition or something, and there's four seconds left on the clock, the ball's in the end line, and we throw the ball right to Jack. And well, that's the, that's the part that – is this Randy? This is Randy, right? So this is Randy's fault. I mean, you got literally seven seconds not, left. The ball. So you're expecting – all right, worst case, we, like, it, take a bad shot or, like, we don't get a shot off. You don't expect to just literally give the ball directly to Jack Kelly. Yeah, it's certainly still my fault, but um, yeah, I think in I think in this scenario, I was, uh, you know, I think more than anything, I heard the the roar of the crowd, and I'm like, oh my god, what's going on here? And <laughs> oh, and really? I look up, and and you're in, you know, you're in Bronco Stadium, and I and I, you know, obviously the only thing that could be happening at that moment is the ball's coming towards the goal, and I'm looking up. You know, I don't even see it come by me by the time that I turn around to, <laughs> the you know, I can. The timing of it, the timing of it. I mean, you literally, like, see the ball pass you, and, like, you can see it, like, click, and you're just like, oh, come on, come on. Like, almost like what happened. Yeah. I like, that, I, you know, I like that you're – I like that you're no longer thirsty. Like, you were going to take a sip of water, and then you're like, I'm not thirsty anymore. <laughs> yeah, I need, I need, like, a shot of whiskey right now. <laughs> Oh, in the goal or like right now while you're sitting there? Both. <laughs> Two shots. Two shots. Well, you know, you dished out your fair number of goalie goals, so I think it's like it's one of those things where it's karma, right? Yeah. You gotta it's, Do you guys do you guys you guys wanna you guys want me to let you in on actually the biggest secret of this whole thing? Yeah. Yes I do. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a big experimenter. I like to try things out. Some certainly fail, some work. Some also fail. Um, you know, at this time, 
And I want you guys to know, we played a game maybe two days earlier against the Florida launch, I think, which, whatever. We went, played in Atlanta. We had to travel down to Denver to play this game. And at that time, all right, I was actually listening to music with <laughs> headphones on during the game. No way. That's yep. incredible. So that's the whole, so the roar of the crowd was the only reason you even looked up at all, probably, right? Yeah, I was probably listening to some incredible song, you know, enjoying some water, and I hear this roar, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Wait, so if you, look, if you look at – so look at, look at the film. Go back. What, do you, uh, let's just talk through it. Like, I don't think we would want – do you have headphones? Like, how, how, how? Just how before you, earbuds, right? Yeah. No, so, so they had they had the they had the Beats by Dre's that were tat they were Bluetooth. Oh, you can see it around my neck. Oh, yeah, there. Oh my God. Yes, this is the best. This is the best reveal on this podcast yet. Gets this is great. So I was I would have my phone in the goal, and I would use Bluetooth, oh. and I would and I would be listening to music during the game. At at like. Was there a like a, a a play mix that you had teed up for the whole game, or was it yeah, like wonder, at, was it like atmospheric, or like and, and like at what volume was it? Because you probably still need to be able to like communicate to your defense, right? So was, I guess it must have been like latent background music, right? Yeah, it was. You know, the volume was probably set at like you know fifty five, sixty five percent of the total max, and okay. Um, yeah, it was just a playlist of music that I like to listen to. <laughs> I could probably dig it up and I'll send you the playlist. Oh my, That's like, a- can we hear a couple, like, what were some, what were some, what were some of the tracks that you remember off the top of your head? Oh uh, man, I don't know if you've ever listened to the band Boombox. Uh, they got a call, song called Stereo. That's really good. Um, at the time, you know, I was, we were in Atlanta. I was, I was hanging out with Scott a bunch and probably had some, uh, some rap hip hop on there that was that was cool at the time. Chance the rapper was was cool at the time, and you know, maybe a little notorious B.I.G. Okay, stuff like that. The, the thing I love the most about sports is like, you know, this goes from a, a highlight for Jack Kelly to if he shoots at two inches to the left, that's hitting you square in the gut, and it's like the biggest blooper reel of all time, or like or below the belt, and it's the biggest blooper reel of all time. It's like, that's what's so wild about sports. Like, that happens, and it's a goal, of, you know, a, a centimeter over on a 90-yard shot, and that's like right in the gut, and you're dropping. Yeah, so well, one day I'll, I'll make it on, you know, CBS News for, for something else. <laughs> I still can't believe, how long did you do the music experiment? I'm like, I am floored by this i'm like fascinated I, by it. How, did that end it did that end the music experiment I, right there? uh i think i had done it maybe like four or five games already and i was legit like playing my best across ever i just <laughs> we played the launch and they they scored three goals and i had like 15 saves right before this game so did you do the whole season did you how long did this keep going on for I, I think I cut it out. I, no, I think I might have gone to one earbud after that, that game. Just one in, one ear. <laughs> I better hear what's going on. <laughs> oh, man. I am floored by this. I, I don't think I've ever t- – no one else knows besides 
the guys on the team, a few of them, Scott certainly knows, and now you guys. Wow, and 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 the wide, wide viewership of the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater, which is probably pretty much everyone in the lacrosse community. So. Yeah, uh, hopefully it doesn't cause any reason to unearth that video, but. <laughs> Maybe you'll, maybe you'll, maybe you're gonna get a an in-ear headphone sponsorship or some kind of like helmet. You know, maybe Ryan will get you mic'd up with some special NBC equipment next year in the PLL. You never know. <laughs> well, and and that's a good segue. I mean, what uh, talk about talk about that shift from the MLL to the PLL? And this is probably something that I I don't know we've talked about with many guys about like. You know, I remember it was my last year playing, but there was all this talk about the PLL coming next year. Was that something when you were approached, were you like, I'm in 100%? Was it a tough decision? What What was your thought process as the PLL was starting to, to become a reality? Yeah, when I first spoke to the guys at, at PLL, it, you know, it all sounded amazing. You know, Paul obviously is, is so polished and prepared and innovative and all the things that, that I really enjoy about sports business too. Uh, to me, probably the toughest part about making that transition was the thought of going away from a location-based team and starting over with, at that time, you know, you didn't know what team you're going to end up playing for. You didn't know who was going to be on your roster. And we were sort of figuring stuff out in Atlanta. We had made a playoff run the year prior. And um, that to me was was probably the biggest obstacle to get over mentally. It was like, I love my team. I, I want to play for a hometown. I, you know, like all of us winning the MLL championship was, was everything. Like a, you would do anything to try and win that trophy if, if you could. Um, and so to me, like once started to come around to how the teams were going to be created, et cetera, there was going to be some chemistry was certainly the number one priority in creating the teams. Um, that was, that was it for me. I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want for the sport. Um, you know, I think the way that they've just run operationally, the production has been otherworldly. Um, so it's been a fantastic experience so far. It's been an absolute blast. And you know, obviously you want to play against the best players and that's where they are. And where were you? Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was, when did, um, like that, that decision to then finding out who your teammates were you know, what was that gap like? And then when you found out who you were playing with, you know, what, what was kind of the, you know, I imagine there was a bunch of elation, but just how long did you have to kind of sit there and be anxious? And then I got to yeah. imagine there was a ton of relief when you found out who you're with. Yeah. The, you know, we all basically committed earlier in that spring. I think you're looking at February, March, that around that time. And we're coaching, you know, Will, Mark, and I are all living together at the time. And, we're all having these conversations with Paul uh, and the PLL group, you know, whether it was uh, conference call or just individually. And um, so we then go and we coach all spring and we, you know, we shoot, try to think of a timeline here. Um, so we try to think if we were having these kind of go back and in my mind and think when the talks were and if we had, we played another season. It had to be. It was the spring of 2018 because that's when I retired. Was that summer, and it was like early before that season was. It like kind of kicked around, and then by the season, we like knew that most guys had committed and were not going to be back the following year. So it was. It was like. It was like. So it went into that MLL summer. 
Correct. Yeah. And so we play that year and then we all, you know, we do, we usually do our annual give and go trip where we try and bring equipment out to Europe and stuff. And it's me, Scott, Marcus, Will, Jerry Ragonese that year. And you're starting to hear sort of, you know, the breakdown of the, the pillars of how they're going to put the teams together. And I don't know when they had finally announced them, but that day was, I don't remember feeling any more anxious than like before they announced those teams, um, you know, having, hearing some stuff through the grapevine, they're going to keep, you know, us together, the Utah, the give and go thing together. And we're going to maybe have Tom involved. And so, uh, you know, when they did announce it and, I'm looking over at Marcus and Will <laughs> across the table saying, I'm, I am so thankful to be playing with you guys. You guys have been scoring on me the past three or four years, like, like no other. And um, yeah, that was, that was really special. And again, it was like, it was when we were building the program at Utah, you know, we had maybe just gotten to the point where we, we announced that we were going D1 and um, to have that announcement that we're going to be able to play together, I think was was so amazing for us and our program and, and the state, like it was really special and, you know, I get to train with those guys all the time. It's so much better training with your teammates than training with guys that, well, if this guy gets really good here, like <laughs> I'm going to be on the bad side of this thing. So um, yeah, it could have been, it could have been terribly awkward, like beyond awkward. Um, well, I mean, we, we lived together long enough where, you know, I hear Marcus on, his calls with the, with the machine guys and Will's playing assistant GM like he does. And, <laughs> um, uh, so, and obviously those teams were doing really well. And I was on my second expansion team trying to just get to the playoffs, you know, and yeah. Marcus wins the championship. And I'm like, well, we're almost there, but if I could just play with these guys, we might get there a little bit quicker. I think it was Ratliff was like, I think Ratliff was saying that, he was talking to Tom and Tom kind of was like giving him the rundown. He's like, wait, wait, we're, we can do that. <laughs> like we can make that happen. So it sounds like there was like some inklings and some, but yeah, I got, I got to imagine when you see the final roster, like, Oh my gosh, this is great. What, yep. what was the first thing you, you and Marcus and, and Will did after you got, heard the announcement? Were you guys in Europe or were you guys back in the States? Did you go out to eat? Did you guys like go work out? Did you just have a dance party by yourselves? Like what did you I think I think in the next few hours, maybe all those things were completed. <laughs> a few cocktails. Yeah, we were ecstatic. You know, yeah. it was just again, you know, uh, play for one expansion team, play for another. Like I was just looking for some stability, you know, and those guys certainly provide it. Um, just wanted to play for a team that was going to have a chance every year. You know, that had guys that knew how to do it. And, you know, obviously the leadership that especially Marcus and, and Will bring uh, to a team, it was like, you know, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And, and talk about, you know, your guys run this year with you picked up some key new new faces, Grant Ammon and the year he had. I mean, what was what was that experience like? Albeit different being in the bubble and less games, but maybe better because you're all together the whole time. But talk, talk a little bit about your experience in Utah. Yeah, it was – I mean, for us, I think to come back in year two and just see our culture continue to sustain itself, uh, you know, just the relationships on the team are phenomenal. And the way we want to play is 
he really speaks well to, to who we are, um, playing great defense and our offense um, obviously can, can stick it to you in transition and they're slick. They can shoot. Marcus and Will are as good a threats inside the arc with their feet set as, as anyone. And, um, you know, to go through group play and, and show that level of consistency to go three and oh and, you know, win in different types of games, close games, comebacks, overtimes, et cetera. Uh, we play the whip snakes. We stumble there. Um, and then we come back and we play the Atlas team again. And, uh, you know, we're able to beat them and we've kind of had, had a little run against them. It's now been four in a row against a team that you look up and down that roster and you kind of think to yourself. News, patience, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to get – How can this team – I'm going to get some highlights here as you're, as you're talking through it. Enjoy you can you can enjoy reliving it here. We got Ross yeah. call. I got gets between the pipes. Um, you know when with last year and and did Jackson place? I, I I actually am curious. Did Jackson place just with everything that happened last year? Decided not to play this year. Or was he not medically cleared? You know. Yeah, I think it was. It's the smart decision when you're when you're yeah. dealing with any sort of spine stuff. So to lay off it and, but he's has been, been as big of a part of the team sort of off the field and communication wise as, as anyone who's on the team. Um, so he's, his presence has been felt throughout in this whole year and through the, through the championship series. He was, he was with us. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And, and Jackson's just such a great guy and great competitor. It's funny. You're talking about, you know, we used to do those and I think you actually came to a few of these kits, the breakfast club in New York city where we would work out, uh, I have instituted a dad's breakfast club here in, in <laughs> New Jersey. There's four, four fathers and we work out at 5:40 AM this morning, actually got one in. It is not as fast. It is not as hard, but we still have fun uh, getting after it. But, um, but yeah, it's like, you know, working out with Michael Earhart. I'm like, man, this guy's really good. And then you go out and he crushes you in a game. You're like, ah, oh, it's kind of stinks. <laughs> he's getting better and yeah. he's getting better at my expense. But um, any moments that, that stuck out to you from from this this specific game against the uh, against the Atlas? Uh, to me, you know, it was it was cool to see Rob back in the league, you know, and everything he brings to the table. Uh, this play specifically was upsetting. I think I make this ten out of ten times, but Crowley, who's become a really smart and consistent player, somehow just scooped it really, literally right out of my mesh and. Uh, I was, I felt like I was just seeing the ball as well as I have throughout this, throughout the series. And, um, you know, it just always feels good to beat those guys. They're, they're like, to me, they're like the New York Yankees of our league. You know, if they want a guy, they'll get them. And, um, you know, if their team doesn't do well, they'll get rid of their coaches and <laughs> wow, you know, it's, in the pot here. I like it. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. That's that's all I got. All but, right, um, the Yankees. You know, I think I think they they certainly are like the. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think anyone is upset to beat these guys. That's for sure. And did you get banged up in this series? Because I feel like you got a little a little knocked around. But did you? You're fully you're fully healthy by the end of it. I think by the time I, you know, in that Atlas game, the second one, uh, I probably could have played. But I think when you look across the locker room and you see Drew, um, a guy who actually has played against all these guys and has done so well against them, I'm dealing with a leg injury. And when you're thinking about playing goalie, like I think in the past my ego probably would have told me 
play, you got to play, you got to play, play, you got to play. And I just didn't want to at that time play hesitant. You know, you, you play in a position where, look, you got a guy flying right at you in the crease and you got to contort your body in different ways just to react to the ball. And I just had so much confidence in, in what Drew was, was doing and I felt like it was the right thing to do. My gut was saying, let's just give him this game. If he needs me in the second half, if our team needs me in the second half, I will go. There's no doubt about it. But uh, he was hot. We were holding him down, and he just took it through the second half, and we got the job done there. Yeah, and, and, you know, that physicality, I think, and you talked about this, like, at the very outset about your mindset of being a goalie. There's a cool video I'm going to pull up. They put out, and I actually don't even know. I don't know the purpose of this video, but it's awesome. It's, it's a pretty cool piece of psyche video. Oh, yeah. So have you seen this? Of course. I was there. <laughs> right, right. I'm saying. And you know, actually, you know, you know who produced and, product. You know, Yeah, you know who produced and directed this is um, Chandler Clark. Okay. Who went to Coaching Harbor, played goalie, went to Brown, and is a producer now. And he's done work with Maverick and a bunch of lacrosse companies. And he reached out to me about doing this piece before the season. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was really cool. He did such a phenomenal job kind of showcasing a little bit of my personality and my training style. So uh, pretty thankful for him and, and putting together such a cool video. Yeah, big, uh, big friend of Trilogy, former Trilogy employee, Dave Madera is a big Chandler. Him and Chandler are close from their days at Brown, and he's always been like, you gotta get, we got to get Chandler to make Trilogy videos. Gotta, I just don't think we can afford him. He's, uh, Chandler's like, he's making some cool stuff, like hella skiing stuff, and he does some really cool work. And yes. So is this just yeah. like a passion project for him? Just like wanted to showcase lacrosse and you and, and. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's been a close friend of mine. Again, when I talk about that team at Coastal Harbor, he was the goalie, you know? So he was the guy I was like, I want to, I want to be that guy for Coastal Harbor lacrosse one day. And, you know, he, he was kind of similar to trying to set this up. We were trying to figure out the perfect time to do it when I had, a moment at, at home on Long Island. And um, this, was, this was a cool inside look to a little bit of goalie, a little bit about how and who I am and what I enjoy doing. And um, came out really cool. Mitch, can we replay it with some audio? That video is awesome. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get a run through with the we, with that's, low audio so we can get some commentary from, from, uh, from Gitz on any, on any highlights of the filming. Is this in front of a green screen here, Gets? Yeah, this was green screen. This was at a at a local gym, actually. Uh, Tom Schreiber's. It's a different breed to play goalie. Who's the Who's the uh, Who's the voiceover? Uh, what they were. I'm not. I'm not really sure. <laughs> some Some robot from outer space. Brennan Burke's calls on these are awesome, too. Yeah. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Because I do something few people can. That shot's so sweet. The edge of madness is where I thrive. So maybe what that's a point. Maybe I am different. And I love it. What an awesome video. 
Yeah, that's sweet to have in the uh, the old repertoire. That's a good one to to find of yourself online. So that that counteracts any you know, any of the, the bad stuff. That's a that video is awesome, man. When, yeah, we just gotta get the viewership up so it's yeah get those views up. <laughs> you're, you're 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 talking to somebody who's most kids know me from uh, uh, Kyle Hartzell, uh, <laughs> Rusty Gates, dude. So you're in good company here, okay? So just you know, that video is well, amazing. Ryan, big, yeah, it's <laughs> when great, did that come out? Stuff. Did that come out between year one and year two? Yeah, that came out. Shoot, I think this past spring. Okay. Yeah, I'm, that video is amazing. Well, well, you brought it up earlier, and I, I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about kind of two passion projects that that you have been, I think, the founder of and instrumental in growth of it and Give and Go and, and then Lacrosse Film Room, which I think are like, they're cohesive, right? The, the, the Lacrosse Film Room helps fund the Give and Go or vice versa, but walk us through what that is, how people can help exactly yeah, what you guys are doing there. Thanks, and I, I appreciate that. And it's been a, a huge part of my life uh you know I'm looking back at some of my greatest lacrosse experiences and and a lot of them point directly to serving and volunteering my my first experience ever doing it was in 2014 I believe I uh, volunteered with fields of growth and went down to Jamaica and volunteered a week down there and and just did everything I could to to coach and bring equipment and kind of got it my first ever feel for just giving back to the lacrosse community and how much of an impact that can have. And after that, started just on sort of a grassroots level, as you can imagine, you know, Marcus and I went out to Europe and we did clinics in Prague. And um, the year after that, we started putting a group together. We go to Barcelona, we coach, coach clinics in Europe the next year with Drew Snyder, Scott Ratliff gets involved, Will's out there. Um, and so it's been almost every year up until this summer that we've taken lacrosse overseas, brought, brought barrels of equipment as much as we can, set up free clinics, coach, consult programs. And, um, but the biggest and most meaningful impact and how Give and Go started was, was through our work down in Nicaragua with, with Lacrosse the Nations, which was founded by Brett Hughes, uh, a Virginia alum. And, Scott and I went, went down to Managua, Nicaragua, where, you know, they have programs down there for the kids. And, you know, Managua is a very, very poor, impoverished town. It's basically built on a trash dump. And these kids live on subsidized, uh, you know, housing. And lacrosse provides them an avenue for, number one, you know, some accountability, responsibility, being at practice, being part of a team, but also playing a game that is so unique and the kids, they just, they fall in love with it, you know, and, and to go down there and see that me and Scott are sitting in a, in a con, you know, a, 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 we'll call it like a, a shack, you know, like a, a small room at, at a, at a ministry that they're putting us up in and we're just, you know, we're just talking and, you know, how can we leverage what we love to do, our platform to help programs like this, to help communities like this. And it just got it off the ground. And, uh, that next year we spent, uh, you know, filing for 51 C3 status. We formed the give and go foundation. And since then we've, 
you know, been able to go to a multitude of different countries. We've been able to, we've, we've funded new programs. We were able to buy equipment for the first ever collegiate program in Belgium. You know, we've given money back to across the nations, um, you know, done a road trip where we went out to the greater mountain West and just taught free clinics. And so it's been probably the most fulfilling thing that, that I've been able to do, uh, as a, as a player and coach and all that, that I love so much, but this giving back to the game and seeing some of these programs prosper, not only when we're there, but, but afterwards the, the motivation that they, they get, um, teaching, the roots of the game, teaching the fundamentals, drills, helping the programs. How do you start? How do you, you know, keep this thing sustainable? And um, it's been an absolute blessing. We're, you know, we're, we're constantly fundraising, obviously our situation right now, we're not getting out there into the world in person, but we're still forming new ideas. We're going to start uh, scholarship funds for the black lacrosse community, community, native American community here soon. Um, we're still looking to distribute equipment, in any way that we can so uh, anyone who wants to help uh, sure there's the gear donation but obviously fundraising is, is critical for us if we want to make more of an impact and it's a great you know segue to lax film study um, you know I've been a coach now since 2011 crazy to think I'm almost entering my 10th year of collegiate coaching and started at Harvard and the reason that's important is because pretty sure if coach Tillman is watching he might know what I'm talking about but in a back room in the attics of where the Harvard locker rooms are there was a huge huge trunk case filled with VHS tapes every game you can imagine if I could at this day I'm gonna hopefully Jerry Byrne you can listen in on this too and let me in there <laughs> there is about there's about 500 videotapes in there that I think were Tillman's at the time. And I would go in there. I was working for Chris Wojcik at the time. And, you know, throughout the day, a little bit of dead time, I'd, I'd just pop in some of those tapes. And I just loved it. You know, watching the Final Four to me as a kid was the most transformative element of me falling in love with lacrosse and developing a dream for who I wanted to be. And re-watching some of those games and seeing Casey and Jay John Bear, a guy who went to my high school, and, and Ryan watching you. And it just, like, it gave me such like a greater feeling for like where the sport was and in what I believe was the golden era of lacrosse. It was, it was not social media. It was just the start of lacrosse companies in, in certain realms. And it was such a, like a passionate, I love lacrosse cause I love lacrosse, you know, and obviously I wanted to get a good education, et cetera, but it was so important to me at that time as a kid to watch those games. And then I wanted to learn and, Finally, through using software platforms like Scorebreak, I've been able to turn some of those files, those, those, uh, those games into cuttable tape. And as you cut it, it aggregates into a library. So I'll, I'll watch a game and I've got, you saw me on Scorebreak. I mean, there's like 250 buttons. There's vision, there's attack skill, there's, you know, approaching with your stick out, there's sliding and how to play picks and all this stuff that I also, as a coach, I want our guys on my team at the university of Utah to respect those that came before and watch how the game was played 
how the ball moves faster than the man, how you guys, in, a, in an era of so much whip, how you guys were able to play the game so beautifully, getting the ball in and out of your sticks, the stick skills, the IQ, the dodging, like kids that if they could see that is good. It could just lend so much to their development. And so I was finally able to aggregate a lot of stuff and, you know, I'm just driving home. I'm thankful that I, I get to drive from where I live to the campus. It's like a 30 minute drive, you get to drive through the mountains and it's good time to just think and, gather ideas and stuff. And it just came to me. It's like, if I, if I could sell this library for X amount of dollars and make it tax deductible, we can use that to fundraise for the give a go foundation. I'm already doing this. I love it. It's easy for me. Like this could be a great fundraising avenue. So since then we've, we've attached to give and go and every, anyone who buys the lax film study library and, and all that entails, um, is it is that essentially just donating to help us grow the game of the cross? How quickly did you realize that you had tapped into something within the lacrosse community, kind of like a uh, the subconscious or the con? Like, like you, you, I think you know what I'm referencing. Like, I, 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 I feel like it was like almost instantaneous <laughs> that like you know, I don't know if it was your third video or your 12th video, like if there was an inflection point or you, you just knew it at a certain gasoline. point, you're like, I'm onto something. It was like gasoline for the viral, viral crossfire. Yeah, it was, you know, so at the onset, I, I did something for my personal account and I'm just not comfortable there. I, I don't like uh, yeah. being on the spot, social spotlight. And so I'm actually sitting there on, on the couch with Marcus and we're just, you know, probably watching a documentary or what's just hanging out. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to start this Twitter right now. And so I called it Lax Film Study. And next thing you know, I, you know, I'd been watching, uh, shoot, who was it at the time? It was Princeton Syracuse, Damian Davis versus Mikey Powell, you know, and had, mm -hmm. when I watched the game, I just clipped every time Mikey went against Damian Davis. And so I was able to put together a little bit of a video clip on that. And, you know, next thing you know, watching 1989 national championship, I put together Dave Petromala's highlights. We've all heard Dave was the best defenseman ever, but who has seen Dave be the best defenseman ever, you know? And same thing for you, right? Like I think about Princeton during my time growing up as one of the most important factors of me loving lacrosse and you missed the Princeton love fest earlier, I, <laughs> what's that and I, I missed and I, oh. you missed the Princeton love fest earlier oh, okay okay good probably a good thing but and I know your accolades and I know how good you know you guys won the trophies but I wanted to watch the games I wanted I I, I got to watch a 2004 quarterfinal you going against Chris Pasavia, you know and and not just watch maybe one clip that someone found, but watch every time you went against him. And I think the most, like, I just see some plays and I'm like, wow, that no one will ever see that play unless I showcase it. And one that comes to mind and maybe, maybe you can remember this one, but I think there was a few in that game, a few shots towards the end line in that game that there were some races for. Mm -hmm. And one of the highest IQ plays that I saw in the game was, Chris and you are neck to neck to a ball. The ref gives it to you and he's talking to the ref. And what do you do? 
I just, well, I'm just like, let's go. Blow the whistle, blow the I'm whistle, blow the whistle. Player, I'm ready to play, right. Yeah. I'm yelling and at him, me, too, I think. And to me, that is lacrosse IQ at its finest. That, that, right? is, and, so, that is episode one of the Trilogy of the Cross Theater, is uh, showcasing that play, that very play. Exactly. What's, what's funny, well, number one, the referee probably shouldn't have blown that in because it gets technically the goalie was behind GLE and he was supposed to give the goalie his requisite, you know, whatever it is, time to yeah. get back in the crease. So Timmy McGinnis was pretty pissed off, actually, as he should have been. <laughs> but at the, so at the, so just coincidentally, you, you released that video at the, at the same time that I was at the IMLCA convention. And so I'm like, it just, in terms of chitter chatter, like, I'm like, just the, the you know, golden era, old timers. Everyone's like, man, I love this. I'm like, isn't it the best? I'm like, it's so great. I'm like, and meanwhile, I like, you know, cause I was off my phone for whatever reason for hours. And then I look, look at, and it's like, it's that video. And I'm like, oh my God, I look like the biggest Homer. I'm like pumping up how great this is. And meanwhile, there's a video of me like currently on it. Like I felt like such a, like, you know, just such like a narcissistic jackass. <laughs> that I was just like, oh, it's so great. Like, and, and, you know, meanwhile, that's the backdrop. But um, and you're I, the, I, you're the... <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm, but man, okay, I'll watch this video. Sure. I think the cool thing was you also released, now just speaking on, on the, 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 the that, that game specifically, that quarterfinal game, is you made sure to release, and this is true to the Damien and Mike Powell thing, is like you released a Chris Pasadena. Like, actually, this guy had a, an incredible game. Like, he made probably like oh, yeah. the same amount of they, the same amount of plays. Like, does that make sense? Like, you, you kind of presented a balanced argument because it was like he made just as many plays. Um, it's just and that, it was that more is, time. That is a huge to me. I think the key pillar for what I do with Lax Film Study is everything's positive. Yeah, you know, there's so much yep. arguing going on out there and on the cross Twitter world. Yeah. I want everyone who's featured in yeah. one of those videos to be pumped. You know, yeah. obviously, there's always a goalie in the net that's going to get scored on. There's going to be an attacker that's going to get the stick taken off him. But I do sort of keep a, a fair balance in my mind of like, all right, well, if this wasn't a play that worked out for Chris or this is a goal that's getting scored on on Trevor, well, let's let's make a Trevor video or yeah. you know stuff like that and try to keep it miscellaneous and give as much to – the offensive skill, the defensive skill, obviously, you know, the defensive skill stuff doesn't sell as well as the offensive stuff, but <laughs> people do appreciate, you know, like I could hop on there right now and put together everything that I've seen of Gary Gate going against Petro, you know, or just I could even find a clip of Mitch Belial heading a ball in the air with his helmet. Oh, I know. We've well, seen it. Well, and, no, and I think to your point about the, the social media thing, like everyone wants things so immediately you are providing that for like, you know, you have the passion to see the A through Z, the whole thing to find it and clip it out. And I think people are just so appreciative of being able to watch the end result, the highlights of everyone, offense, defense. And that's what I think is so cool. And are like, give me now society. Like people are able to get that because of your passion. And it's, it's, kind of an everyone wins situation where you're getting to, you know, you get to watch these games that you appreciate for the whole thing and, and people get to watch the clips and the highlights that they really appreciate. So it's, it's really, really cool. And I know, you know, Ryan just said it, but it's like, 
we're such big fans. We've used a ton of the videos you've made in these trilogy lacrosse theaters because awesome. they're great because they're great. And they clip out, you know, like Roy, you. I think Roy Colsey's video um, came directly from a, a lacrosse film study video, but just like really, really cool stuff. And we, we appreciate it. And it's been awesome to see and yeah, reliving my header from uh, the Duke. Yeah. <laughs> And, and if, if I can just like just my two final points on it is, is number one, you know, there's so much out there where we're publicizing current lacrosse and, you know, you, you got guys that are, you know, they played two years of pro lacrosse and you see them everywhere you turn. But to me, like, I wanted to showcase, I want to showcase John Hess, you know, I want to showcase Mitch Belisle, Ryan Boyle, guys that played in the pro league for 10 years, you know, and are still giving back to the game. And I think that's a really important piece of this. And I, the coolest part too is like one of those videos goes up and it, all it takes is one of your teammates from Cornell to see it. And my hope is that it's bringing together a lot of those alumni groups. Oh shit. Did you guys see that thing? Like Mitch, that's awesome. And all of a sudden now you guys are, are talking again or you know just it just you know throw some logs on the fire to to bring back some some great memories and make people happy you know and um and then i think number two is how useful it can be as an educational tool for coaches and players and you know i tried my best to categorize things to the nth degree so that if a coach is having trouble with his team on how to run a 2-2-2 offense well here's the best team of the nineties running the two, two, two offense. And I can use that to then teach my players or we're struggling to slide. Well, here's some, here's how, here's the greatest players ever and how they slid to the ball with their stick out violently fast. So like, I just think it's, you know, at least to me, I'm obviously biased, but I think it's um, one of the coolest coaching tools um, that I can imagine. That's a big part of why I did it. So that, cause I was watching these games anyways. I'm like, I want to teach my guys via this video. I want my attackmen to watch Casey Powell work at the island. I want my attackmen to see uh, Mikey Powell do the finalizer. I want us, you know, I want my defense to watch how Duke ran their invert defense against Notre Dame in whatever year, you know. So it's been invaluable to us at Utah, and one of the things that we believe really teaches our guys a, a true appreciation, true, a true appreciation for the sport and where, where it all came from. Well, and let's get a quick plug. If people want to go and access this and, and pay for it, how do they do that? Uh, it's all connected to our give and go donor box at the time. We are currently working on a website, but all you got to do is go to www.donorbox.org slash lax film study. And you can find that, that link anywhere on our Twitter, Alex Lax Film Study, or on Instagram, Alex Film Study. I try and tag it into the post as much as I can because, again, you know, the more people that dive into it, the more we can hopefully do on our end with with fundraising. And I, I try and keep it fresh and you know miscellaneous as much as I can. Um, but the Casey Powell ones have been great. I love watching you. I, I honestly would love to see even more stuff. And then probably. That group at Princeton with Hess, um, Strebel, and uh, Massey 
Hubbard, Hubbard, Striebel. That's Hubbard and Massey. Sorry, sorry. Well, <laughs> was Striebel running around with them at some point, though? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was running like circles around. And they were all wondering what the hell he was doing. But <laughs> yeah, and Jesse he, and Jesse. <laughs> I mean, he was a moose. That that group was yeah. a, was incredible. And seeing Coach Tierney at that part of his career and the way they played defense was, I mean, it's just inspiring to me as a coach. So yeah. Well, well, Gitz, we might have to do a part two here. Um, I think we could go on for, for hours and hours on on the uh, a lot of this stuff. It's it's awesome, been awesome diving in. And I think you know we started off with some, we talked about some challenging times in in your life and in lacrosse. And uh, I appreciate you you sharing on those. But ultimately, the biggest thing I take away is like your positivity and how much positivity you bring to a team. And other guys that we've interviewed have mentioned you you as being such a great leader because of that positivity and how much you put into it. So um, I reflect and, and share that our time together, playing together was so special. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I unfortunately have to go pick up my little monsters here shortly. So I do want to, <laughs> I do want to end with our, with our kind of quick hit questions. So, you know, cool. quick, quick answers, best place to play a lacrosse game. Uh, I got to say, I mean, best place to play the cross game is Kapolani Park in Waikiki, Hawaii. I was I thought we were going to get a University of Utah stadium plug there. I mean, well, the, that's, that's, that's already, that's already, that's already a given. It's already a given. We do that enough. <laughs> um, you know where uh, – have any of you either ever played in that box court in Prague? Yes, Habreski, the Alec Habreski Memorial Term. I so I did. We did U.S. Indoor 2011. We practiced there one time. So not in like full glory with like people drinking beer in the end in the end line, but we did practice there, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a cool. I, I that's probably wins the box. Uh, other than maybe Buffalo, like Buffalo in a playoff atmosphere. Oh yeah, like that may be the the uh, Prague outdoor. But this isn't about me. This is about you. Um, best teammate you've ever had. Besides Mitch Belial, uh, shoot, man, I, I, you know, I, I think playing with Scott Ratliff over the past few years has been such a joy. Uh, just seeing him continue to mature and become the leader that he has, and being able to do all this other stuff with him on the side, has only been, you know, a cherry on top. He's he's one of the finest you'll find out there in terms of leadership, and not just leadership and. But he, he does it on the field, you know, and obviously we can all attest to that. Um, playing with Scott's been, you know, the biggest treat of my career. And then you look at guys like Ryan Young and the guys we talked about there too. Uh, I'm lucky enough to play with some special players. So, Favorite Tony Resch quote over the last two years? Oh, boy. He's just – I. he's such a stoic, you know, so there's not <laughs> – He's not going to pound you with dialogue. Um, As he said, let a dude be a dude. Did he drop that one? <laughs> let a, let a, let's let a dude be a dude. <laughs> he's, no? he's just got, he's got so, many, so many good ones. I, I, I'm going to be hard-pressed to pull anything out right now. Coach okay. Rush is the best coach I've, I've had in a long time and become a really special friend. All right, we'll end on one that you definitely can answer here. Best lacrosse memory of all time. 
at least I think you should be able to answer it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think winning the national championship is is up there. Um, I would also put uh, coming back on Canada when I was in the U19s, we were down six, seven goals and ended up coming back and beating those guys. And uh, probably one of the best comebacks. What about, beating, part of. what about beating Team USA in a fall scrimmage uh, as a freshman? <laughs> remember that? I don't know. I don't know. Do you remember that? Did we actually win that game? I don't think anyone was keeping score. And you guys beat us in my head the way I was keeping score. <laughs> Hey, man, if I ever get a chance to wear that jersey, I'll be a blast. But, um, yeah, we had a good group. You guys were, I mean, good as anyone. And that was – we were we were feeling it that year. It was a good fall. Yeah. Well, yes, I appreciate you. Uh, I know it was uh, difficult to connect. Oh, oh, I did have one final question. We'll end on this one. Uh, have you run into the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City as a married man with two children? I'm now big on the Bravo Network, and they are now coming out with the Real oh, gosh. Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So I don't know if you've seen them flying around in uh, downtown SLC, but keep your eyes peeled. Just just stay careful. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep my eyes open. But uh, if you guys know me, I, I, I go down to Salt Lake to coach the crap out of our guys, and as soon as I can, I get myself to Park City and get back in the mountains. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you for, for uh, setting up the antenna and getting the, getting the Wi-Fi cooking in the mountains. We really <laughs> love, love seeing you, love talking to you, and, uh, and just couldn't say thank you enough for, for making this happen. Get yeah. Really was excited. You both, are, you both are awesome, and, you know, appreciate the time. And would love to come back. Maybe we can do – all three of us can work together through uh, uh, Trilogy Theater with some lax film study stuff. Love it. And put it on the books. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, boys. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Thanks.